Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is, is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Together Church. I'm so glad that you guys have tuned in this morning. I hope that you've been getting a lot out of this series. We've been, for the last four weeks now, talking about the gospel according to Satan. In week one, we saw the what lies are, where they came from, how the enemy has used them, and how he'll take like one little little truth and he'll spin it with one small little lie. And that one small little lie can keep us from truly seeing who God is and, and getting to experience his character and his attributes. And then we've even looked at God, does he want me just to be happy? And we saw that God wants us more than happiness. Happiness is not the thing that he wants us to pursue because happiness is always determined by the happenings that are happening around us, where God's saying, I want you to pursue joy. And the book of Psalms tells us that joy is found in His presence. And joy is that thing that we can have when we're upset and when we're sad and when we're torn to pieces, we can still find joy because joy is found in the presence of God. And we looked at that and how we've been deceived by pursuing happiness that always leaves us empty. But when we pursue joy, it gives us this fulfillment, that we have done exactly what we're supposed to, and that is follow Jesus with everything that we have. And then last week, we talked about the lie that has been talked about. A lot of even preachers have said it. I have said it trying to comfort people when we said, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. But what we saw in Scripture was God actually will give you more than you can handle. But we saw that not only will God give you more than you can handle, we learned that God will never give you more than He can handle. And it's all about Him and learning that it's not about self. It's about putting our dependency on who God is. And I've, I have felt that this series has been such a timely message for all of us. When we, you step back and look at everything that's happening around us, this has been the best thing for us because in a world where it's hard to figure out what's true and what's not true, the one thing that we've learned is the Scriptures always provide the right answers and provides the truth. And that's why we continue to seek Jesus. But understand these lies that we believe today and these things that we've taken Scripture and have been twisted, this is nothing new. Uh, Paul actually wrote about it in 2 Timothy, and he was telling Timothy and warning him. He he says that, listen, for this for the time is coming. For them, they felt like they were living in the end times. But, but he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And look what he says in verse 4 of that. He says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off with the myths. So they were dealing with a lot of the same things that we are, is that the, the gospel was not being preached. It was being watered down. The, the gospel was not on the, on the radar. It was not the priority of many of the people that were preaching in this time period, that people were seeking things to help them feel better. They were looking for these feel-good type messages. Not much has changed. And this is why some of these lies has slipped into our culture, because we have chosen to believe things that necessarily are not true. They may seem like half-truths, but they're not fully true. And people are looking for anything that just itches the ears and to be entertained. And God wants us to fully grasp and embrace His Word and embrace who He is. And so these lies that we've learned have 
uh, we've shed some light on them. We've shed some scripture on them. We've seen the truths. But there's, there's one today that I want to talk to you about that I think is probably the most destructive of any lie that we could possibly talk about. And, and that's this lie where the enemy tells us, you can do whatever you want to. You can do whatever you want to as long as nobody gets hurt. You ever heard that before where people have said, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do me. It doesn't affect anybody else. You mind your business. I'm going to do me. You do you and we're fine. And we live under this cloud of I can do whatever I want. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. And I don't expect any judgment back from anybody because I'm not hurting anybody. I can do these things. And have a told you that God never said that you can do whatever you want to do as long as nobody gets hurt. There's, there's nowhere in Scripture that it says that. So today I want to talk to you about what the Scriptures actually say about this attitude of doing whatever it is that we want to do as long as nobody gets hurt. You, know, you look at the culture, you look at the things around you, you look at our cultural values. If I asked you, what do you think one of the biggest cultural values is that we have today? I think we would all agree that tolerance is one of those, those values. You know, I would say it's probably our biggest value. Tolerance used to mean that everybody was equal, like we could tolerate it. Like We're all equal people. We can have conversations and we can agree to disagree. We can compromise um, peacefully. We don't have to feel like we had to trash everybody. Tolerance was just treating people as equals, no matter where they were. But we have moved so far away from that that Today, tolerance has been redefined, and we would define it that all ideas and all behavior now have equal value. It doesn't matter what you do. All of our behaviors have equal value. So you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And we, and we teach that. We live that. We see that all throughout our culture. We even see it in the church. Within the body of Christ, we see this attitude that we do whatever we want as long as nobody gets hurt. And when we look at tolerance and we see tolerance, tolerance today would say that it is wrong and unacceptable to say that behavior is wrong. Like tolerance today would say that we can't say that certain things are sin and certain things are wrong because there'll be backlash for that because the, the definition of tolerance has changed because we have convinced people that you can do whatever you want to do as long as nobody gets hurt. And then there's some people that take that a step further and they do whatever they want to do, even if other people get hurt. And so we have watered down and civilized sin in our society. That's what we've done. We've okayed some things. And the church sits on the back watching these things play out. And then there's some people that are followers of Jesus that take a hateful approach to this and they misrepresent the body of Christ in the things that they say and in the things that they do, and it causes divisions. Notice that every one of these lies were lies used to cause division. This is what the enemy does. He is a great mastermind of getting a plan in place to divide, 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 divide. And this philosophy of doing whatever you want as nobody gets hurt is a division that the enemy wants us to have. And so he will have us to think that some of the things that we do, even though they're wrong, we will find ways to justify them and we will not call it what it is. For instance, when people say pornography, that term, when you used to hear it, it would kind of rattle you just a little bit. But we don't use the term pornography anymore. We just say that it's adult entertainment. 
so we soften the way that we say it. Or you can say that people are committing adultery. Now we just use the term, oh, they just had an affair. They just had an affair. So we soften it a little bit, almost as if we've accepted it just a little bit. Or we could say that you know, premarital sex was a term that we used to use, and now we would say, well, they're just fooling around. They're just fooling around. You see how we have watered down these things, these ideas, these thoughts, so that we could justify behavior. We could justify our sin. We've taken what was once wrong, and we've made these things culturally acceptable. We've made them culturally acceptable. That it's okay to do this, to live this, to say this, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But let me tell you, we've got to realize that sin is a very real thing, and it has tremendous consequences, consequences that are earthly consequences, and they're eternal consequences to it. And we've got to embrace that and understand sin. Now, let's just go ahead and, and agree that you and I, neither one of us are perfect. We both have sin in our lives. We have sin that needs to be confessed to God. He says that we confess our sin. So we have our own issues. So if you're sitting here watching this thinking that you're perfect, I got bad news for you. You're not. And I'm going to tell you too, and this may disappoint you. I'm not perfect either. I am a sinner saved by grace that is trying to live out these, these values and this character and these callings that God has placed on my life. But we, we fall into this trap of thinking that sin is okay as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. So we can do these things and we can justify it and soften the way that we say it. And so today, I want to talk to you about these consequences, but I also want to look at these misbeliefs, like cultural misbeliefs that we have about sin. You ready? Number one, one of the cultural misbeliefs that people have on sin is this, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not bad. Well, you may say that I make mistakes. I have some issues, but I'm overall, I'm not a really that bad of a person. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. This is a misconception, a cultural misconception that we have on sin is that we think that I'm not a bad person. Now, I want you to look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, where he says this, that if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So in other words, what he's saying is, if we say that we don't have sin, we're lying to ourselves. Like we're trying to convince ourselves that this isn't who we are. And we try to justify it, just like we do when we take words that have meaning and power, and we try to soften the blow to make it sound as if it's not that bad. And he says that, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. It's just one big deception. We're just lying to ourselves. And not only are we lying to ourselves, he says, listen, the truth is not even in you. The truth is not even in you. The problem is this, is that you and I will compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not great, but at least I'm not that person or I'm not as bad as that person. And we'll do this comparison game, which is extremely dangerous is that we will compare our sin to what other people are doing and then justify what it is that we're doing. And we'll just say, well, at least it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And so we will take on this attitude of, of believing that we are not bad people. And that leads us down these, these bad roads. But let me ask you this. How many of you, sitting where you are, 
listening to this, watching this, would admit that there's been a point in time in your life where you've told a lie, whether you think it was a little small white lie or if it was a really, really big lie that you've told. So how many of you, and you can comment below or you can just raise a little hand on the comments in Facebook, how many of you would say that you've lied at some point in your life? How many of you would say that you've stolen something? Now, you may have stolen a piece of candy when you were a kid. You may have stolen some time off lunchtime from your job. You may have taken some supplies home from the office. Who would say that they've stolen something before? Wouldn't you say that those things are sin? So wouldn't you say that, well, man, if we break it down, if we lie, we're considered liars. If we steal, we're considered thieves. We're sinners. Like, it's what we do. It's, it's this thing that we have this propensity sometimes to do wrong. It's the fallen nature. God didn't create us to be this way. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered, it gave this, this propensity to want to sin, to want to do things. And we have to fight that and fight the flesh to work towards the Spirit and let the Spirit guide and lead us. He goes on to say in, uh, in Romans, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3, he, he kind of talks about this, we're sinful to our very core of who we are. He says that as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So let me just break that down for you real quick. What he says in 1 John, 1 John says, it tells us this, that if we say we have no sin, then we have deceived ourselves, and there's no truth in us. And then here Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that as it's written, none is righteous. There's no one, no, not one. He, he lets you know three times that there's no one who is perfect. There's no one without sin. We have all been blemished with sin. And the sin separated us from God. So the misconception is I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. We all are sinners. It doesn't matter where we are. We're sinners. Here's the second cultural misbelief that we have about sin. And that's where we have this thought that all sin is the same. So it doesn't really matter. All sin is sin. It's all the same. And this is a dangerous cultural belief of sin, by the way, because God never said that all sin was the same. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't teach that all sin is the same. Listen, all unforgiven sin does, all forgiven sin, all unforgiven sin does lead to death. It does lead to death. So all sin is not the same because forgiven sin where you've repented and Jesus has heard your cries and heard your prayers and heard your repentance, that will not separate you from God when it's been repented. But these unrepented sins, it will lead to eternal death where repented sin will lead to eternal life. They're all sin is not the same, even though that's what will be taught and preached, that it doesn't matter what you do is no worse than what I do. It is sin. We live in sin. We live in unrepentant sin, and we live in this world of sin. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, he says that for the wages of sin is death. The cost of our sinful nature is death. There's a price to what we do. There's a price to this sin. And that sin price is death, that we die an eternal death. And he goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But God gives us this free gift, and it has no cost to us because He's taken on the cost so that we didn't have to through His Son, Jesus, and the shedding of His blood, Jesus. And He says that this free gift, when you repent of your sin and you come to Him, there is salvation, that we have this eternal life where when we live in this unrepented sin and we're not covered in the blood of Jesus, he says that that is going to cost you. And that's going to cost you your life. You're going to live for a brief time, but you're going to live in that sin and you're going to die an eternal death. He says, for the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin, and any sin. It could be what you think would be a big sin or a little sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It has a cost when it's not repented. And this unforgiven sin will lead you to death. But I love that second part, though, because this is the gospel, that the free gift of God is eternal life. The Bible tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that you and I may become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin. He paid our price so that you and I wouldn't have to. So he would say that sin, there's forgiven sin and there's unforgiven sin. Forgiven sin, you seek this forgiveness and this repentance and you have eternal life where you don't seek those things in the unforgiven sin and you face the consequences of eternal death. So when we look, we, the cultural misbeliefs are that I'm not a bad person. We are all sinners. And then when you would say that all sin is the same, all sin is not the same. There's repented and unrepented sin, and they have consequences on both sides. One's a good consequence, one's a bad consequence. But here's the third cultural misbelief. And this is probably one of the most dangerous ones of these misbeliefs that we have because I hear it all the time. I've, I've used this kind of language to justify behavior, but it says, since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Well, since I've already done it, I might as well keep on. And the list for this one could be a mile long, and, and you've probably heard somebody say these things. Maybe you've heard somebody say, well, I've already cheated. I might as well do it again because I didn't get caught the first time. So I might as well go ahead because... I've already done it. I'm just going to keep doing it. Or uh, maybe somebody said, I've already looked at something that I shouldn't have looked at, but I was able to clear my history and nobody found out about it. So I'm going to keep doing that because I didn't get caught and it's fine and nobody knew. And we live in this dangerous cycle of since I've already done it, I might as well just keep on doing it. You know, a couple of thousands of years ago, Paul addressed this very problem in, when he wrote in the book of Romans, he said in Romans chapter 6, 1, what shall we say then? What shall we say then? Are we to continue? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Should we continue in sin so grace can abound? Here's what Paul was asking. Should you just keep on living this lifestyle? Should you keep on living in this sin just so you can keep giving are getting and receiving grace, that grace is not a card that excuses our sin behavior. But some of us treat grace as if it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Think about it. It's like grace going wild. I can do whatever I want. God's going to forgive and give me grace. 
So should we keep on sinning because God has already forgiven us for sin? That's the question. And I hear that from people that try to justify that I've already done it. I might as well keep on doing it. I already have grace. God has already saved me. I don't need to repent. I've already repented one time. I repented when Jesus saved me. We are to live a life of continual repentance before God. We are to confess our sins to one another. Confession. I think God takes sin pretty seriously. And if you don't think that, just look at the cross. The cross is the, is the perfect example of showing that Jesus and God took sin seriously. And Paul's asking, should we, should we keep on sinning? Should, I mean, if, if God's given you his grace, should you just keep on doing it? And Paul answers him in verse 2. He says, by no means, by no means. Like, that's a crazy thought is what he's trying to say. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in sin? So how can we who died in it still live in it? If we're dead to it, how can we live with it? And he said, since we have died to sin, how do we keep on living in this sin? In other words, since Jesus died for us and uh, he came for us and he paid this price for us, it's because of our faith in him. It's because of our faith in him. Our sin nature no longer has power over you and I. We put to death the things of the flesh and we take up those things of the spirit. And so he says there's no means that we, we still live in this sin. Like when we have relationship with God, our desires to seek the things of the flesh should be dying off as we draw closer to Jesus. See, what we don't understand is why would we not continue to sin? Because sin hurts us. It hurts us. It hurts God. It hurts the people around us. You may not think that. There may be times where you think that what you're doing is not hurting people, but people are being affected by the things that you're doing, the sin that you're living in. It's, it's weighing on people's emotions. It's weighing on people physically. When we are in active sin, there's a consequence for it. And most of the time, the people around us pay a price for that. So should we go on doing what we're doing? Absolutely not. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, you're not going to want to do these things. You're not going to intentionally just go out and be sinning. You're, you're, you're really just looking for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. And you're repenting and asking Him to show you. Like there's, This is called spiritual maturity. This is what happens when you're following Jesus and you're in His Word and you're in, uh, in community with other believers and you're praying and seeking Him. Spiritual maturity starts to happen. As we grow, our desire to sin should quickly decrease. So spiritual maturity is not about having knowledge. It's about having more fruit. We're trying to grow. We're trying to become more like Christ. But the problem is that most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience. And that's a problem, that most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience. Listen, this is not about how much you know or how much scripture you can quote and what fancy theological words that you know. That's not what Jesus is looking for. What he is looking for is your obedience. Because see, when we're obedient to Christ, 
our desire for those sins to those sinful nature that we have decreases. It doesn't mean that we still don't face temptation. It doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up and sin. But what it does is our desire to do those things begins to decrease and begins to, is more of an awareness of when we're not being obedient to the things that Jesus has called us to. See, I would say it this way, that the closer that we get to Jesus, the closer that we get to the light. And the closer that we get to the light, the more darkness is exposed within our hearts and within our lives. And the sin that is there will be discovered and can be gotten rid of in our life. There was an old theologian that said that you've got to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And we've got to attack sin. We've got to repent of it. We've got to ask the Spirit to convict us of it. It is dangerous. We have to have sin be exposed because sin is a progressive thing. It will get worse and worse and worse if we don't get repentance of that, if we don't ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of that, if we, if we live in this, in this place of just saying, I'm just going to let whatever happened happen. I'm going to do it again because I've already done it because I have grace. That is not spiritual maturity, and that is not the thing that we see over and over in Scripture that we're supposed to be pursuing obedience. And we can't be obedient if we're continually seeking out the things that God told us not to. Sinning is living in a state of disobedience towards God. The reality is, is that sin, it costs us something. It's bigger than us. Sin is expensive. 1 John 1.8 said that if we don't have sin, then we deceive ourselves. If we say that, that we don't have sin, then again, deception has come in. And the truth is not within us. And that's what we just talked about just a few minutes ago. But here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch the next verse of 1 John, and it's 1 John 1, 9. And he says this, If we confess our sins, and this is the most powerful piece of the Scripture, if we confess our sins, He is, you ready? He is faithful. He is faithful and He's just. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all, not some of it, not a little bit of it. It says that He is ready to cleanse all unrighteousness out of our lives. I mean, we say in the first part of that verse that if we say we don't have this, then we deceive ourselves. But when we look at the second part, when we acknowledge that we have sin in our life and we confess these sins, doesn't matter how bad it, we think that it is doesn't matter what level of sins that maybe you started categorizing these sins. Listen, God's not intimidated. He is standing by and he was ready. He is faithful and he is just to forgive your sins and to forgive my sins and to cleanse us all from any unrighteous. That is really good news today. Really good news. That's how good that Jesus is that he would take our mess, our failures, our sin, and put them on his back and take that burden for us so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can be forgiven. This is the gospel. He's the truth that will set us free to all of these lies that we've ever been taught about sin. He's the truth. 
And what is going to happen today is when we draw closer to Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we will begin to recognize our need for help in this. As we continue to ask him, we want to be obedient to you. We want to make every thought that comes into our minds to take it captive and make it obedient to you. What is it and what areas do we need to be seeking obedience and practicing a true place of repentance, daily repentance? We take up our cross daily to follow him, and that starts with repentance. You got to recognize your need for help. You, you got to recognize that, that Jesus is the way out of sin. He's the only way out of this. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you will never see your need for Jesus. You'll never see your need for Jesus if you can't recognize that you're a sinner. So when you call on him, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. And here's where I want to encourage you today is that you would step back and begin observing your life and praying and asking the Spirit to bring conviction to these sins that are separating you from God. And is there unrepented sin in your life that needs to be repented of? If you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you haven't repented of your sins, you're separated from God. And today that bridge can be fixed because Jesus died on the cross for sins for you and for me so that you could have a relationship with God and wouldn't be separated, that your sin would not separate you from a holy God. And all you have to do today is just cry out to him and say, Jesus, please forgive my sins. I am a sinner. Come and save me. And you can simply just pray that prayer and just ask God very simply, I need you to save me. I'm a sinner. And if you've said that and you believe that this morning, what we want you to do is just comment below and tell us that you did because we want to connect with you. We want to celebrate with you and we want to help you on that road of discipleship as you move forward in obedience with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. We're living in a society, Lord, where everything is excused, that where we think that we can just do whatever we want to do as long as it hurts no one. But God, it is if it is sin, it is sin, and sin always hurts you, it always hurts us, and it hurts those that are around us. Search our hearts today. Bring conviction to those places where we need to repent of the sin that's in our lives. God, may we repent of just buying in to some of these lies that we can just continue to do the things that we want to do. That where we would say that we don't even feel like maybe we're a sinner. God, I've, already, I've been doing this because I've just been doing it because it's okay. I'm not worried about it. But I hope that we would feel God, your presence, and, and know that when we pursue sinful natures, that it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. So God, just use us as a body of believers. And for those who have accepted you today as their Savior, you've forgiven their sin, we pray for them to, to reach out so that we can help them connect and take their step on this journey of discipleship. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.